So let us pray. Father, we are here this morning to honor you, to exalt your name, to worship you, to praise you, and to give you all the glory. We depend on you for all of life, from the day to day and for eternity. I pray this morning for our flock and for the body of Christ at large, that we live our lives in a manner that is worthy of you. Give us ears to hear this morning and grant us the ability to take your gospel to the world, sharing the good news of salvation, the good news of redemption, and the good news of your grace and your tender mercies. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So soteriology, nice theological term, uh, or the doctrine of salvation, it must be the grandest theme in the scriptures. It embraces all of time as well as all of eternity, past and future. It relates in one way or another to all of mankind without exception. It even has ramifications for the angels, the Bible tells us. It is the theme of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is personal, it is national, it is cosmic. And it confers to the greatest person, Jesus Christ, our Lord. According to the broadest meaning, uh, as used in Scripture, the term salvation encompasses the total work of God by which he seeks to deliver or to rescue man from the ruin and from the doom and from the power of sin. He bestows upon him his grace that encompasses eternal life. Provision for abundant life now, here in history, and for eternal glory. This morning, I want to talk to you about being saved as it relates to the progressive sanctification process that occurs when a believer confesses Jesus as Lord. Looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that Jesus is his personal name. Christ is his office. And Lord is his title. So if you please turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 10. And we're going to be starting in verse 8. And we're going to read down through verse 13. I'll give you a moment to get there. It reads, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, something about this passage should get your attention. That is, it seems in this reading there are two things you must do to be saved. Now, this would go against other passages of Scripture, such as, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall be saved. Or, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Or, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Over and over again, we are told, and rightfully so, that salvation comes by faith alone through Christ alone. But in this passage, we are told to believe and confess. So let's look at salvation. There's salvation in the past from the penalty of sin. There's salvation in the future from the presence of sin. And there's salvation in the present history from the power of sin. The word saved is used of all three. So when we see the word saved, we have to ask the scriptures, which Tense, are we talking about? Past, present, or future? What's Paul referring to here? And I, and I think understanding which tense uh, will help us uh, to make sense of this passage. So let's look at verse 10, and we'll get a little bit of help from Paul here. Verse 10 reads, For with the heart one believes and is justified, past tense, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, present tense. Now, I want to submit to you that he's not talking here about going to heaven, but about bringing heaven to you. In other words, being saved in the present, in history. Two other passages speak of being saved in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15.2 says, And by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Holding fast is accomplished uh, as we are being sanctified. Then 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Both of these passages are speaking to believers who already have been saved, past tense, and those who are being saved, present tense. Y'all with me so far? Paul is not talking about salvation past tense from the penalty of sin or salvation future from the presence of sin. He's talking about salvation present being saved from the power of sin 
and its agents, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Circumstances are the result of all three. He's speaking present tense because he's speaking to, not to uh, non-believers, he's speaking to believers. Now, by way of introduction, this becomes a staggering concept. Because he says to be saved here isn't about going to heaven, but about bringing heaven to you. To be saved in history, to be delivered in history, to find victory in history, to be an overcomer in history. It demands more than your faith in Christ. It demands your confession of Jesus as Lord. So let's talk about Jesus' name as Lord. In Acts 2.36, this is Peter preaching his sermon. He says this, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now the word Lord from the Greek is the word kurios, and in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is the word for Yahweh, and Yahweh is the Old Testament word for God. So when the word is attached to Jesus, it's in reference to his deity, Jesus is God. Now, this got Jesus in trouble, if you look at Matthew 22. Because the Pharisees, they were struggling with the fact that they believed Jesus was a man. But Jesus comes to them and he asks, if Messiah was only a man, then why would David say his son was also his Lord? That's Psalms 110.1. David said that the son would come from him, would also be master over him. And it says they didn't know how to answer him. They never knew how to answer Jesus, did they? But that's what got him killed. And we see that in Matthew 26, 41 to 43, and 63 to 65. It says, you know, it says that this man made himself to be the son of God. Crucify him. What crucified Jesus was his claim to be Lord. So when the Bible says that his name is Lord Jesus Christ, it is bringing his deity, Lord, alongside his humanity, Jesus, fulfilling his office, Christ. So God, Lord, Jesus, man, Christ, office. Prophet, priest, and king. In Ephesians 1, and 23, it says, And he has put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know, because of this, uh, let's look at something else together. Let's go to Romans 14, 8 and 9. Because he's the fullness of him who fills all in all. All of life in its entirety is to be given over to Jesus Christ as Lord. It says, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. 
For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So when you say Lord, you say or confess he is the Son of God, that he is deity. And you are recognizing, again, confessing, that you have declared him as supreme ruler over your life. When Thomas, you remember him doubting Thomas? When he fell at the feet of Jesus, what did he say? He said, my Lord, my God. See, Thomas recognized Jesus was God in human flesh. So when you hear the name Lord, you have the recognition of who he is. Now, you must believe him to be the Lord to be saved. But you must confess him as the Lord for your salvation to work. And unfortunately, you know, I think there's going to be many Christians on their way to heaven, and that's where we go. We have to wait till they get there to see this. Because while they have trusted Jesus Christ, they have not confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Paul says that in the, uh, in the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, that you are saved. You get righteousness by your faith in Christ, but you only get delivered by your confession of Jesus as Lord. You know what's missing today in the church? What's missing today among Christians is the failure to place themselves underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. To recognize his comprehensive supremacy over all of life. There's no part of life that is outside of the lordship of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3.17, we read this. And whatever you do in word or deed... Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, not only must you believe that, you must confess that. The word confess is a word that means to acknowledge something. It means to let it be known that you agree with this. To confess means to affirm uh, to affirm something, right? And let's clear something up here. You know, we're talking about confessing Jesus as Lord. Have you ever heard a brother or sister, I know I have, they say, I, you know, I think today I'm going to make Jesus Lord of my life, right? To me, another way of putting that would be, I'm going to make a God of my own choosing or my own liking. We don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord of believers and he's Lord of non-believers. I didn't make me. God made me. He is Lord whether we 
confess him Lord or not. He's still Lord. So, instead of saying, I'm going to make Jesus Lord of my life, what I should be saying is I'm going to submit to Jesus as Lord of my life and confess Jesus as Lord of my life in that submission. Paul says, if you want heaven to join you in history, you must not only believe in Jesus, there must be the confession of Jesus in order to be saved. On the cross, Jesus paid for your sins, but with the resurrection, he provides for your life. That's why Romans 10 says, you are saved by his life. You see, everybody believes in the substitutionary death. We all believe that, right? But not everybody understands the substitutionary life. Romans 5.10 says that now that we are already saved by his death and justified, now we can be delivered by his life. Delivered and saved. It reads, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. See, this is a privilege that only believers have. We have other privileges. I'm going to copy my dear friend Leonard here for a little bit. He's really good in his sermons of lining up words that all start with the same letter, right? I tried. I can only do two. It's the letter G, and it doesn't stand for Gabe. <laughs> Check these privileges out. And, oh, by the way, if there's any uh, English school teachers in here, please don't judge me. You don't, starting a G, got to go to church. What's the privilege? You get to go to church. Amen? Amen. You don't got to pray. You get to pray. You don't got to read your Bible. You do what? You get to read your Bible. You don't got to obey. Did I say that? You get to obey. You better obey, but you get to obey. You don't got to witness. You get to witness. Look at these privileges as a believer. Dad, you don't got to lead your, your household in a spiritual way, but you get to lead your household in a spiritual way. Amen? I'll leave the ladies alone for a second. You know what we get to do? We get to submit to Jesus as Lord. Hallelujah. But you only get you only get this privilege when you know the name Lord and you affirm it publicly. You can get saved in, in the traditional sense, uh, uh, in the traditional sense of you know, going to heaven, and you can do that privately. 
But in order for your salvation to work in history, there must be confession, meaning public agreement. To confess is to advertise your association with the Lord. Man, I almost stepped off. When you were baptized, and it's my hope that all of you have been baptized, that was supposed to be your introduction to public proclamation. Your baptism was supposed to inaugurate you so that you are now not a secret follower of Jesus Christ, but a published associate of Christ. You are to declare by life and lips, words and deeds, the fact that you are identified with him, the fact that you're associated with him, and under the rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is Lord over all. It says in John chapter 12 that the Jewish believers who believed in him, verses 42 and 43, would not confess him openly for fear of the Jews. You know, were they saved? I don't know. But they would not confess him because they didn't know how folk would react. They were scurred. Isn't that what they say in Alabama, Kim? They were scurred. They didn't want to acknowledge uh, um, being under the rulership out of fear of what others might think or do. It also says they didn't want to put, be put out of the synagogue. For they loved glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. The failure to confess publicly, to acknowledge your association with Jesus Christ, it blocks your being delivered in history. Let me put it another way. You can't skip Christ and get attention from God. In 1 John 2.23 it says, No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So the confession issue has to do with the public association, the public identification, and rulership by Jesus Christ. You see, a lot of us Christians don't want Jesus to overrule us. We don't want him to be our commanding officer. We love the title Lord. What we don't like is the confessing of it. That is, the submitting to it, the recognizing that Jesus, what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, that we call him Lord, Lord, and what? We do not what he says. I can imagine Jesus responding to our refusal to admit to his lordship in the following way. You're using the term Lord, but when you say Lord, you're telling me what you think. You're telling me how you feel, how you were raised. What your mom and daddy said. What the media said. What your friends said. No. 
The question is, am I your Lord? Am I your sovereign? Am I your ruler? Confession means that you are accused of being a follower of Jesus Christ as Lord, that there would be no evidence to convict you. You won't be found innocent of all charges. Confession means that there is no question. When the service is over, and you're here in the, in the Christian convenient place where nobody's disagreeing with you, where everybody loves you, but out in the world, they know where you stand. It's easy in here, harder out there. We live in a day where there's no shame, folks. They want you to accept that which is outside of the, of the book of the Holy God. Where Jesus said in Matthew 10, If you deny me before man, I will deny you before my Father. And if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father. He says your confession or denial will affect what my Father does or does not do. If you're ashamed of me there, I will be ashamed of you here. I'm good enough to take you to heaven, but you want to be quiet about me on earth. Look, I'm, I'm not talking about being bombastic. I'm not talking about when you're at work not doing your job. You're supposed to be doing your job at work. You don't need to be talking about Jesus all day at your job. What I'm talking about is not shying away from your identification with Christ. Shying away from the identification of who you are in Christ as Lord of your life. Talking openly about the things that qualify you for heaven, like we read in, in Colossians there. We're qualified for heaven. Qualified to call on his name. Do you see this in the text? For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul isn't talking about the qualification uh, for going to heaven here. He's talking about being delivered in history. From the world, from the flesh, from the devil, and being able to overcome and to be a conqueror. That's what he's talking about. I love Revelations 12, 11. Listen to this. And they have conquered him. I'm going to start over. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. And by what? And by the word of their testimony, their confession. For they love not their lives unto death. Do you see it? The word of their testimony. They testified about their association and identification. And those who call upon the name of the Lord because they confess the name of the Lord will find deliverance in history. You cannot be ashamed of him out, uh, out there and then call on him out there. To be saved or to be delivered in history 
to overcome sin in your life, to beat back the satanic attacks, we have to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You know, one of the reasons we have so little deliverance is we have so little confession. That is, public association with Jesus Christ and submission to his authority. But he who calls on the name of the Lord, the promise is he will not be disappointed. He says God will break in so that there is no area of your life that he can't speak into. Your life, your work, your finances, your relationships, your attitude. There's no area he cannot speak into and overrule. And until the lordship question is settled, heaven will stay a long way away, folks. And his divine presence, his intervention, his transformation, his deliverance, his healing, all that you should have, could have, and should have, he'll say no. Why? Because he doesn't want to help you to deny his son further. But he who calls on the name of the Lord, let me just read to you from Colossians 1. Uh, Connie read 9 through 20 earlier. Because you see that for a lot of Christians, Jesus is prominent, but not yet preeminent. Let me just read a few verses uh, where Paul writes these words about Jesus. He says in verses 17 to 18, you can turn there with me if you like. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. There's nothing that sits outside of him. No subject matter, no education, no accomplishment, no business that belongs in the hands of a Christian to which he is to be excluded. Because when that business goes left, you're going to call on him. When that relationship goes left, you're going to call on him. When that health goes left, you're going to call on him. And he's going to want to know when you called on him, did you confess him as Lord? Because everything is going to be attached to him when you come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I understand we don't do everything perfect in in our day-to-day walk. But we have to accept to do it progressively. Uh, You have to grow in your knowledge of the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's called sanctification. That's the process. Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Now, I hear a lot of Christian folks say, I want to walk with Jesus, or I want to walk in the Lord. Well, here's a little tip for those folks who say this but haven't confessed Christ as Lord. Not having given their whole life over in submission. You ain't walking 
if you're not working. There's no sitting on the sidelines. There's no sitting on fences. Not comfortable anyway. We are not to withhold the gifts we have been given. Blessings we have been given. Forgiveness we have been given. Eternal life we have been given. Even the time we have been given is not ours to own, but his to put to use. Look again at Colossians 1.10. So as we walk in a matter worthy of who? The Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And this leads us to the concluding passage of Scripture in Philippians 2, uh, 9 through 11. And please turn with me there. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Where it says... Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My brothers and sisters, God does not want you to confess Jesus. He does not want you to confess Jesus Christ. He wants you to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. You see, God is pleased when he sees us recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ. But he's not pleased when we deny Jesus as Lord. Confess Jesus as Lord today. Today, confess Jesus as Lord today and see what it's like to have God's undivided attention in your life. If you're here today and God has saved you, if you've been forgiven for all your sins and if you have eternity waiting for you, God having delivered you from certain death, then it not ought to be that hard in fact, it's the law of the kingdom to bring your life, to bring your dreams, to bring your hopes, to bring your desires, to bring your relationships, and lay them at the cross and say, I'm here to serve you, my Lord. And I'm not going to apologize to my peeps, to my coworkers, to my acquaintances, to my family members, that I belong to you because they didn't save my life. They didn't deliver me. They didn't forgive my sin. They didn't give me heaven. You did that, Lord. Let us pray. Father, today, right now, we confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord of all in all. Lord and sovereign over all. Lord, our lives our entire lives, Lord, over our relationships, Lord, over our marriages, Lord, over our families, Lord, over our finances, Lord, over our workplace. 
Give us today the zeal and the boldness to confess as Lord to the world, to every circumstance you providentially and sovereignly place in us. Help us today to crucify the flesh, to die to self, to become less as you become more. And please, Lord, help us to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord.